Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hello, you beautiful, lovely historians, and welcome to another episode of Whiny About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime besties with breasties drink wine and talk about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And I'm dramatic. I'm not. Kel- Kelly is the only thing keeping us going <laughs> because I, f- I feel like, honestly, our dynamic, and this is, I feel like with most podcasts, there's the dynamic, there's the like off the wall lunatic. And then there's the person who actually is like giving good content <laughs> and driving the ship forward. <laughs> like, like Kelly is driving the ship and I'm running around the deck being like, look at that whale. Look at that bird. Oh my God. It's so cool. And like right. the stuff I'm pointing out is cool, but we still need to drive the it, fucking ship. It makes me think and of avoid like icebergs. Invader Zim. <laughs> <laughs> when they're when they're coming to Earth and it's Gur and Zim and Gur's just singing the Doom song and Zim's just like God fucking damn it! Oh my God! And we both grew up loving that show. I still love that show. I still love that show. I actually love it more than I'm an adult because yeah. when I was younger, there were definitely parts of it where I was like, "This isn't what I was expecting from a children's show on Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, no. What is happening?" There's a reason that it got very quickly unadded from Nickelodeon or not unadded but removed. Yeah. Um. It's actually funny because now I learned in Discord, which is a chat app for people who don't know, like a computer chat app, um, you can add, you can make soundboards and like when you enter a channel, you can have your own sound. And I just recently found this out. Um, And so I, there's an episode of Invader Zim where he gets hit like in the stomach with a kickball and he goes, oh, my squeedly spooch. And that's that's my, that's my entrance noise. Because oh it just made because it has to be like God. less than five seconds. Yeah, I was it was I was between that and the like. Why is there bacon in the soap clip? So <laughs> we'll see if I switch it. Oh my God, I love it so much. And I was like, this is great. To be honest, this is that's everything I've ever wanted in right. my life. I'm I'm actually impressed by how many like Gur sweatshirts and backpacks and accessories I still see because that show came out. It was either late nineties or super early all like two thousand. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, they just came. They just came out with like an like not an expansion, but like a new season. It's called like Invader Zim for the nineties no, babies. It's like Florpus something, something. It's weird. Oh my god, I love it. And I haven't watched it yet because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to like ruin my nostalgia. I I get that. I get that. The classic episodes are classic. Um, have you ever seen Hell of a Boss? Yeah. Okay, the guy who plays Zim plays one of the characters in that. Oh, and, and I like, recognize his voice. Yes, he's got such a distinctive voice, and it's one of my favorite things, because he was also one of the Angry Beavers. Like, he's done a ton of stuff, but in, those are the three I know him for. Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus. Enter the Florpus. And I think it's on Netflix. Is that what I should start calling my lady bits? Enter the Florpus. Okay, so it was a movie that came out in 2019. Okay. I'm like, I kind of want to watch it. We should get drunk and watch it. We should get drunk and like watch all of it. Oh my God. I actually would prefer <laughs> that. I would prefer to watch the episodes I've already seen. Yeah. That would be fun. And oh then my the God. Movie. My favorite episode 
was when Gaz was like trying to get the the, the space pig yeah. game and that like shitty little kid cut in front of her in line or something and she like hunts him down yeah. and terrorizes him. Oh, that's that's when I show. decided what kind of person oh, yeah. I wanted to be. I aspire. I still aspire to be Gaz. I know. I aspire to give as few fucks as she does. Right? Like I love her so much. All right. What are we doing? You're telling us what wine we're drinking. Okay. Well, before we get to the wine, I do have a say their name. Uh, I, so, um, someone in a mutual friend group, Alina, what's up? I love her. She's amazing. Um, so she found out I have a podcast and I never expected her to listen to it. And then one day she starts asking me questions about it. She's like, oh, I was listening to the podcast. I'm like, I'm sorry, you what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, That's generally my what reaction is happening? when people tell me they've listened to my podcast. Um, and she seems to be getting a kick out of it. And uh, so she sent me, she sent me a text and she sent me some screenshots of a group chat that she has with her friends and their subsequent reactions. So I just want to, I have her permission. I have her permission to I, read this. I've never heard this, so I'm excited. No, Kelly hasn't. I gave her a quick preface, like, hey, I'm going to read something. So Alina says, so I sent episode six of your podcast to a group of my close friends, mostly girls, two guys. And the episode she sent is um, is a Sunday rider and a computer and a skirt. That's where I covered Elizabeth Jennings Graham, who desegregated the streetcars and Kelly covered the very notable Katherine Johnson, the computer and skirt who like got us to the moon and shit. Yeah. Fuck yeah one of, one of the hidden figures. Badass. So, and, and this was a trillion years ago. I mean, like four episode six. six. Yeah. Good God. So she said, I thought you'd like to read the conversation that followed. I hope you can catch the irony at the end. So first I need to point out that this group chat is called sluts. Which I love. All lowercase. I love it. And I'm like, why don't I have a group chat called Sluts? I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, we need a group chat called Sluts now. So uh, Alina says, if anyone's looking for a good podcast to start and then shares the link. And Tamsin says, I'll try it out. And then Gus replies, Okay, so I took a few notes on the podcast, dot, dot. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Immediately, I was horrified. Like, mm, I don't like this. These girls made me want to take a bath and sip some wine while they told me about some strong women in history. Wine glass emoji. The 13th Amendment rocks. Buying your wife's freedom is hella romantic. In parentheses, if I could buy all y'all's freedom, I would. Also, in parentheses, headworthy. <laughs> Which is the best thing to come out of all of this. So, headworthy? Headworthy. Yeah, it's like if something's great, it's headworthy. Like, would you give head if someone did that? Yes. Mm. And now I am incorporating it into my everyday speech. Yes. So uh, if there was an all African-American NASA, that would slap. <laughs> Bitches that do math is sexy. Headworthy. <laughs> I'm thankful for the strong bitches in this group that keep it up. Pussy queens. <laughs> Princess emoji, high-fiving hands emoji. Finally, some bitches are irrational and need therapy. <laughs> I, I feel like that's targeted at us as the hosts. 100%. <laughs> I need to re-listen to the episode. Uh, he said, three out of five stars would rather listen to Ben Shapiro on the Joe Rogan podcast. It's, it's, it's ironic. Remember she said, I hope you get the irony at the end? No. 
He's being sarcastic. Oh, he's I, being it's because that would be the still, antithesis of our show. Three out of five. Ben Shapiro talking about yeah him not being able to get his his wife wet on Joe Rogan's fucking podcast. He still only gave us a three out of five. I'm offended. It's it's five out of five. He loved it. He's being sarcastic. Emily's taking this much kinder than I am. Okay, I'm like, Kelly. I don't know these people. Kelly, this is like the best text exchange I have ever got. And you are just pissing Shitting all over it. it. Right. Just it, accept it. Gus loves us. Okay. So I said, uh, holy shit, this is everything. Can I start saying headworthy now? Also, can I read this on the podcast? Because it's deaf headworthy. <laughs> uh, so yeah. No, everything is great. Alina, thank you so much no, for sharing that with us. And Gus, um, give, give Gus our love. We love him. He's a, he's the best. He's a queen. He's a queen. He's a queen. Yes. Yes. But yeah. That's fantastic. Keep living it up, sluts. Pussy yes. strong. Y'all are head worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, line up. I will give all of you head right now. <laughs> Even the ones that are women. We'll figure it out. Oh my, no. It's. It, it's oral. That's true. Head is oral. Like, I'm using my head. Yeah. That's, that's what true. head is. That's all that matters. It doesn't have to refer to the genitals of the person you're giving head to. So, I just, I wanted to share that. I kept, I kept forgetting to mention it, so. I love it. That's honestly fantastic. And if you think our podcast is head worthy, or worthy or of any kind of, or, or slaps, or is worthy of a handshake at the door. That's also fine. We respect your boundaries. You can support the podcast either by becoming a Patreon uh, for as little as $1 a month, or mm. you can sponsor an episode by buying us a bottle of wine at www.buymeacoffee forward slash W-A-H pad. All the pods. Our last uh, wine purchaser, our wine gifter. Our whiny lady was Chelsea from Canada. And Not I learned so all. much about Canada and their horses. And all their random, all their random shit. And their unicorns and their maple leaf holding lions. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Huzzah, Canada. And huzzah, Lena. Huzzah. Ha- and huzzah, sluts. So now I'm going to get into the wine that we're actually drinking. The non-Canada wine. It's not about Canada anymore. If Chelsea wants us to talk more about Canada, she can buy us another bottle of wine. But this is my week. This this episode's sponsored by me and my uh, impulse purchase at the liquor store. Yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> no, not this one. Oh, I thought I was. No, this is when I bought the Canadian wine. Uh, I was I, I I was on the. I remember you bringing it here. Yes, yes, you do because I was very excited about. It. So today we are drinking Stella Rosa L'Original. It's a product of Italy. Pineapple and chili. Semi-sweet. It better actually be a little bit spicy. Otherwise, I'm going to be disappointed. So I had a cider recently that had like, it was like a fruit jalapeno cider. It was delicious because it was all this, it was all the flavor of jalapeno without any of the like, oh God, my face is melting and I am crying in front of people feelings. Right. I mean, we had that other drink that had jalapeno in it, but I couldn't even taste the jalapeno. What and was, I was that? Very sad. Was, it, was that the drink. cocktail? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, where's, where's the jalapeno? I could, I could taste it a little bit. I was very excited about the, um, the lychee fruit yeah, that looked that like an nice. eyeball. That was awesome. Um, so the back of this reads, grapes for our delicious celerosa pineapple and chili are harvested from beautiful vineyards 
a refreshing wine combined with natural flavors of pineapple and chili, served chilled with fresh fruit, cheese, spicy cuisine, mm. and desserts. Mm. Love a good fruit wine. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Oberlinger's fruit wine. But yeah, I'm very excited about this because I love a good Stella Rosa. I mean, this is that kind of wine where you can just drink a bottle by yourself. But pineapple and chili is very exciting to me. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this wine. Yes. Let's try it. Cheers to sluts. Cheers to sluts. Let's hope this wine is headworthy. Ooh, that clink was headworthy. Oh, it smells good. I'm going to overuse headworthy. You are. But I do not care. <laughs> like, I'm not saying you are already overusing it, but I know you will overuse it. Ooh. It tastes like I'm on a South American beach. Mm. And there's someone in like a unbuttoned Hawaiian shirt giving me drinks while I mm. stare at the ocean. That is very good. And just very taking the salty air. Pineapple forward, but like you get the get the jalapeno on the back end. It actually I don't taste the jalapeno as much, but it goes up into my nose. Yeah. Like, do you feel that? Yeah. I get like the aftertaste yes. of jalapeno. Yes, for sure. I think they could have gone more forward on the jalapeno, but I also understand like, as you know, I'm a Midwestern girl. I can only handle so much spice before I'm actually burning from the inside out. Right. So I, I get it. I get it's a, it's a balance, but I really like this. Highly recommend. Yeah. It's delicious. Pineapple and chili. Actually, it's not even jalapeno. It's just chili. Yeah, I, It could be any kind of chili. But yeah, no, this is good. Highly recommend. Getting a series of weird gift text messages and then my name. And there's like no context. From who? Ian. Well, first it was... Fucking there, Ian. There was one from his wife. And then there was like five from him. And then just my name. <laughs> like... I don't under, I, th I think he's asking me if I want to go to the state fair, if I put all like the different oh, okay. gifts together. I was going to say 10 bucks is that he's drinking. But there's n literally no con. I hope not because his wife sent me the first text message at like one in the afternoon. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so. I mean, hey, hey, there's nothing. work today. There's nothing wrong with a little day off day drinking. Okay. We will not judge. No. That is God's job. And his son's blood turns into wine, so I don't think he's going to be too right, upset like, either. How much judging can he really do? Yeah. His his son, who is also God, had the power to turn water into wine. <laughs> it's like, do you remember that fucking family guy joke where Peter takes a sip of the communion wine? He's like, does Jesus' blood? Man, that guy must have been fucking wasted 24 yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, why didn't I ever think of that when I was a kid being told that the wine I was sipping was literally a dead man's blood? Right. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, whatever. You know, it, it, it's crazy the things that you accept as totally normal when you're a child. Yeah. Some things yeah. I can look back on and be like, oh, Santa and the Easter Bunny and other things. Drinking a dead man's blood who's also God. Hmm. Oh, Okay. No wonder I'm such a little goth. <laughs> no wonder, you know, we like to bleed on accident. Kelly, you like to That's bleed. That's just me. Uh, let's be honest. Two minutes before we started recording, Kelly's I like, I itched my oh, arm and I was I'm like, bleeding. I'm bleeding in two separate locations. And then she's like, 
it's I just like to bleed. And I'm like, will you please fucking stop that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Clot, damn you. (laughs) All right. Let's, you know, 15 minutes in. Let's actually get started. All right. Who who goes first? You. You. Because I did the intro. Ha ha. It was beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, and your alcoholic wine. (laughs) Or alcoholic blood. Excuse me. What do you think Jesus' ABV was? I don't know. Okay, what what, what is like, this what wine? What is an average wine? This ABV? okay. So this wine is five percent. Thirteen. Okay. Well, that the Emily is super. The Emily will fuck you up. So yeah, probably five. Yeah, five, five to ten. I wonder how much you would have to drink to like get your blood alcohol level. Be you you would be dead. Yeah, oh yeah. You would be, be dead. dead. But he's the son of God, so he didn't die. Exactly. He just had a really great time while he was here. Yeah, exactly. He Until spread, he didn't. He spread, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you live fast, you die hard. I'm just saying. <laughs> Kelly, please tell me who you're covering so I can stop, like, invoking the wrath yeah, I of really God. I like this. This is amusing me. My Catholic heart is actually crumbling. It's like drying up like a leaf in the sun. <laughs> I am covering Maggie Lena Walker. Love that name. Right? It's yeah. I, I I really love the name Maggie. I hated it for a minute because I knew a knew a Maggie that was not great. But I'm like reclaiming this the name. This is not that Maggie. It's not that Maggie. I can guarantee you. Because we wouldn't be talking about that Maggie. Mm. But this Maggie is the shit. Yes. So Maggie uh, was originally born Maggie Lena Mitchell. She was born on July 15th, 1864. We're going back. 1864? 1864. Mm-hmm. She was born on the Van Lewis estate in Richmond, New York. Bougie. So she was born a slave. Or oh, oh. The daughter of a former slave. Oh, I went the completely yeah, you went the opposite. Way. <laughs> I went the totally opposite direction. I am yeah. not saying enslaved people so, were no, bougie. She's... she's I just read like the next two lines. She's a daughter of a former slave. So okay. not currently a slave. Okay. Um, interesting note in my research though, up until 2009, so fairly recently, they thought her birth year was 1867, not 1864, until someone eventually found her like marriage records and then we're like, "Oh, we've we've been off by 3 years this entire time." So yeah. So they were trying to make her, wait, they thought it was 67 instead, instead of 64. 64. Yeah. They're trying to make her younger. I don't know. If I were her, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Go back. I mean, go she, back. She was dead by 2009. <laughs> I don't care. But um, her ghost is like, no, 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 no. I looked three years 67 younger. 67 is perfect. Yeah. Um, so her mother was named Elizabeth Draper and was a former enslaved woman who worked as an assistant on the Van Lu estate for Elizabeth Van Lu, who was an abolitionist, a unionist, and a spy for the Union during the American Civil War. And I'm actually going to be covering her next week. That's amazing. Also, can we just clarify, Elizabeth, the, the Elizabeth, the is, mother, is not the mother. Elizabeth oh. is the land, like the estate owner. Okay. And the mother is a cook for her. Okay, but she's working. Yeah, she's like, working. She is. She's she not was formerly ins- enslaved. Okay, and is no longer enslaved, and is is working and living on this estate. Okay, I see. Because I'm like, wait, how can you be an abolitionist 
nope. and have enslaved people. Yeah. No, she's, I know we contain multitudes. She's a former enslaved but person. But you cannot have it both ways. This, this woman hired as Perfect. an actual employee. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yep. Um, so it was working here that Elizabeth would meet Eccles Cuthbert. We're bringing the name Cuthbert back for literally two sentences. Really quick. Do we like Cuthbert? Uh, I mean, he kind of is there and then is gone. Okay. So. Well, I'm saying neutral at best. Yeah, neutral at Can best. Can we bring back the name Cuthbert? Because it has never let me down. It has either been right. a bitchin' wooden leg right. or this non-threatening neutral gentleman. Yeah. So he was an Irish American um, who worked for the New York Herald and was like in town and had a romantic involvement with Elizabeth. So that's the other confusing thing is the mother's name is Elizabeth and the landowner's name is Elizabeth. That's why I was getting very confused. Yeah. So it's Elizabeth Draper and Elizabeth Van Lu. Okay. Um, okay. But then, yeah. So Elizabeth Draper, her mom and this Cuthbert, um, yeah, had a thing. And Maggie was the product of this thing, like a mutual thing. Okay. Um, and, and, Elizabeth Draper is not an enslaved person, so we don't have to. Yeah, we're not. We're as, not assuming. We're not assuming the negative yeah. things. Okay. Um, there's no record to suggest that they ever got married, planned to get married, or anything like that. Um, and in fact, shortly after Maggie was born, um, her mom would actually marry a man named William Mitchell, um, who also worked in the household as a butler. So. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm still saying Cuthbert was neutral at best. Like, it sounds yeah. like he was just there. They had a fling and she had a baby she was with someone else. And then she got married to yeah. someone else, which is her right. And okay. Yeah. And they would go on to have another couple, Maggie's half brother named uh, Johnny Mitchell, who that's the extent of what we'll talk to him about him. I like that name, Johnny Mitchell. Right. Why does it sound like a whiskey? Johnny, Johnny Mitchell. I know, but Johnny Mitchell sounds like a, I would drink a Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. So eventually her father, uh, William, would leave the Van Loo household to um, become a head waiter at the St. Charles Hotel, which was like a very prestigious area or hotel. And the family was able to kind of leave the estate. Um, the mom would still work there, but they were able to rent a small house of their own. And like the four of them were able to kind of like live on their own, which is really cool. Um until it wasn't. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Rewind. Everything is fine. End of story. <laughs> so in 1876, so this is only 12 years. So, yeah, Maggie would be about 12 years old at this point. Um, William was found drowned in the James River. Oh, my God. Uh, authorities would claim the death was a suicide. However, However, Maggie's mother, Elizabeth, insisted that he had been murdered because... Probably. Um, nothing ever really came of her accusations, and it really just plunged the whole family into poverty because he was the breadwinner. Well, and he he's working at a prestigious hotel. At, 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 he's a black man. I don't know, but I assume so. I, that, that's Well, if he was working as a butler, butler I would, during I, this time, I would assume so. I, ju- I do just kind of assume, and especially like I can see that um, the landowner, Elizabeth, with her abolitionist ideals of like, oh, I'm going to give black people like paying jobs, right. you know, and that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. That's super sad. And yeah, it, that, the, the whole like, right. I, I, I think it was one of those, 
it sounds like one of those things, and, and assuming he's a black man, the cops didn't care. It was easy to write off as a suicide because they had no interest in actually, even if it was very obviously a murder, they had no interest in figuring out who did it. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't like find anything much on her stepdad. I do just want to say there are, there, there are stories of, you know, black, black Americans being murdered for being black, Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and lynched and all that stuff. And there, there are some of those stories that really become part of our public consciousness, like Emmett Till. Uh, but there are so many others like this, where it's like, yeah, they were probably murdered, and it was yeah, probably racially no motivated. But, but yeah, that that was like, there's so many others that we're never going to hear about. Yeah, and they're never going to get justice. Nope. And it's very, and very it's sad. Horrible. But that's that's why I love doing these stories about these women, is because we get these like peeks into other, other areas of history. Either, yeah. yeah, you know. So yeah, so he got murdered. Obviously, they got plunged into poverty. And so as a way for them to provide for themselves, her mom began a small laundry business. Um, Maggie would assist by returning clean laundry to the white patrons, a position that allowed her to observe a lot of the economic and social disparity between races. Because at this point, she's a teenager. She understands. Yeah. Um, This part of her childhood left such an impression that when she was older, she recalled, quote, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but with a laundry basket practically on my head. Oh, honey. And that's still a very relatable sentiment for a lot of people. A lot of children. Yeah. You know? And it's sad. It is very sad. Um, So despite her poverty, Maggie was among the very fortunate blacks, African-Americans. We're going to change that wording because I I pulled that out of an article. African-Americans late in the 1870s who were able to attend public schools for the African-Americans in Richmond. So she was very fortunate and I'm sure her mom like really pushed her too. Mm-hmm. So she would go to the Lancasterian school, which was also known as the Valley school followed by the Navy Hill school. And then the Richmond colored normal school. That was the actual title of the yep. school because things were terrible back then. Um, at that final normal school, she would train as a teacher because that was one of the only jobs available to women in general, well, and that's let what, alone women of color. That's what a normal school is. Because our, yep. our the, the university where you and I went was formerly a normal school, which yeah. I always thought that was weird. And I'm like, well, that's before we showed up and made it extraordinary. Extra normal. Extra normal. Um, <laughs> With our... With our, you know, stable mental states and our very well-rounded emotional abilities. Yes, 100%. <laughs> we definitely were normal. Um, so in, in 1881, while she was still um, learning to be a teacher and, like, still going to school, she also joined something that's called the Independent Order of St. Luke, which was an African-American fraternal society. So I put a little, like, I had never heard of it, so I put a little, like, background because I was like, what, the, what is this? So... There was originally the United Order of St. Luke, which was like a thing. Um, And it was founded by Mary Prout in 1867 in Baltimore um, based on women's mutual insurance. Or sorry, it was a a women's mutual insurance society that provided for the care of the sick and the burial of the dead, probably for women that don't have husbands. Oh, Um, we we talked a little bit about that with... um, with Katie from yep. Toho. Yep. Yeah. So um, this United Order was one of several African-American fraternal organizations dedicated to supporting the social and financial advancement of this community. Um, and 
basically they're viewed both the order of St. Luke and the United order of the true reformers. Like those style of fraternal organizations are viewed by, um, historians as quote, helping to shape the African-American identity, protect members against poverty and other misfortunes and support movements for social change. Yeah. Loving it. Loving all of it. What's really interesting is even though I've called it a fraternal organization several times, because that's what they call it. um, It was originally initially, I mean, it was initially only a fraternal organization, Mm -hmm. but they, or no, other way around. It was only a maternal organization initially because it was founded by a woman and it only allowed women for a pretty long time. I was going to say, I I wasn't going to call you out. No, I said that backwards. I have it written correctly. And then I, 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 but yeah, like that's all the articles I read. The reason I, I kept fraternal in there is because that's what they call it. But I'm like, it's not, it's technically a maternal organization, well, didn't didn't we talk about the differences between fraternities and sororities in yeah. your anniversary happening episode? Yes. And I think for fraternity was the default for a while, and then women women organizations were wanted like, no, to distinguish themselves, yep. and that's basically exactly it. So yeah, originally it was only women, and then eventually they allowed men, which is I think that's so neat because usually it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually there was a factional dispute that led particularly the members in Richmond to form the independent order of St. Luke, which is where now we find Maggie joining. Okay. She would go on to graduate from teaching school where she would go on to continue teaching for about three years until, because there's always an until. No, no. Until she married Armstead Walker Jr. Okay. And it's because um, you weren't allowed to be a teacher if you were married. So that's why she had to stop teaching. She oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. You forgot Mar- about that bullshit. Married women couldn't do fucking yep. any jobs, let alone yeah. teach, Which especially is... teach. Yeah. Cause you're supposed to have kids. It's bullshit. You're supposed to have kids and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, that's, that's where these Boston marriages come in handy. Right. Especially for like women working in universities and teaching. Right. Luckily, um, Armstead, her husband did have a decent, paycheck he was able to support him and her um he worked in his family's construction and bricklaying business so like he had a family like his family had a business and he was a big part of it and so he was able to support them but yeah she definitely wasn't happy about not being able to teach anymore like she found that a lot of bullshit and she ended up putting a lot of her time into the independent order during this time because that's Mm -hmm. what she still had and she rose through the ranks pretty quickly doing like various jobs and used it a lot to influence young people and kind of talk about that disparity she saw between the races. Can, can, can we just double back for half a second? I, ju- I just want to kind of address like the whole, once a woman is married, she can't work yeah. and is dependent on the man to provide for himself, her and the subsequent children mm-hmm. that they have no way of not having if they want to have sex. Yeah. Right. Um, and like, that's not fair. Like I've been in a relationship where I was the primary like financial provider. It was incredibly stressful, especially coming up on the pandemic. I was like, oh my God, I like, it, it was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of stress. And I think it's so unfair that all of that burden was put on men, even though women wanted to work. Right, exactly. She they wanted she to wanted have income. To be a teacher. They wanted to, you know, participate and you know have lives and and careers, and they were denied that. And then that puts all this burden on men, 
and then they get stressed and they act out and they drink and then we have prohibition which was super great (laughs) sorry but that, that was one of the that was one of the issues with prohibition and why women were so for it because they weren't allowed to earn an income they were completely reliant on their husbands who were working crappy jobs working really hard and then going and drinking away their paychecks because it was the only semblance of control they felt that they had and then they go home and the wife who has no control is like i've got all these fucking kids and you spend all your money on booze are you yeah, goddamn like, are kidding you fucking me kidding me right now yeah yeah, so I, I don't know. I just too. like it's like, are you fucking serious? And here's like, the thing: if you if you want to have a household where there's one partner who is the primary financial earner, or one per, one partner stays at home, that's fine. But it should be a conversation. It should be something that you both agree upon, not something that is mandated based on gender lines. Right. It shouldn't be a oh, you got married, you're fired. Like you literally cannot work right. here. That is the. Like, I would be so mad if that happened. Right. And we're still dealing with the after effects of that. Like, there are women who still get ass about their plans for having a family when they interview for a job. Like, are you married? Do you plan on having kids soon? And they're not always asked that directly because I'm pretty sure it's illegal now. But they're asked in a roundabout way where you can totally tell what they're what they're looking for. Right. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. I don't have to answer. Fuck you. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. I just I just want to point that out because like sexism hurts men and women and everyone on the gender spectrum. Right. And Maggie would go on to have three three children, three sons. So uh, that was Russell in 1890, Armstead Mitchell Walker, the third because her husband was a junior. Um, was born in 1893, but would not live a very long life. He oh. only um, he only lived seven months, which is very sad. Oh, that's um, that's awful. And they would have one more son son after him named Melvin Dewitt. Um, about four years after, and then they would go on to adopt um, a daughter named Polly Anderson. I love all of these names, by the way. Right, Russell. Armstead, Melvin DeWitt, and Polly. I love the name Polly. Yeah. So she's having babies. And then during that, um, she would get elected as Grand Deputy Matron within the Independent Order of St. Luke, where she would go on to establish a juvenile branch of the Independent Order of St. Luke in order to instill a sense of community and confidence in the young African-Americans that she's seeing be affected by all these different things. That is so important. Yeah. Because building up, building up the confidence and the self-reliance and the self-esteem early on, especially amongst a population of children who are being discriminated against. Yeah, exactly. And like they have parents who were formerly enslaved people. Like they're dealing with the after effects of that. And then the country try to be like, okay, well we can't enslave you, but let's like repackage slavery and all this other stuff. Like giving them that, that support is huge. Like, and having people to look up to and people that are like, no, we don't have to live this way. Yeah. Um, Well, and her, you know, growing up, like feeling like, yeah, I I was working from day one because I had to, and I didn't have a lot. And her mother was able to afford her an education, which is incredible. Right. But I love that she's like, you know, trying to help other people. Yeah. And that was one of the things that this branch really stressed too, is like the importance of education and supporting the community and supporting one another. But really, yeah, like going to school, making sure you're educated, like to the best of your ability and then helping. Um, 
to and then she basically wanted a future with within the order and society of itself and she believed that that came from investing in the youth and one of the like sayings she would adopt particularly for this like subsection of the order was quote as the twig is bent the tree is inclined wait i don't get it i don't either okay i'm like wait what as the twig is bent the tree is inclined i think it's like if you bend the branches on a tree the whole eventually the whole tree is oh, going to I bend see. that way so you have I to see. support the children otherwise everything's gonna yeah yeah. Like, like if the, I if, think that's what it the, means. Well, I also think like if the children fall, the whole tree falls. I get that. But then also it's like if you guide the individual branches, a.k.a. the children, the whole way. tree yep. will f- grow to follow. Yeah, I think that's what it means. Okay. that Sorry, that took me a minute. Yeah, yeah same. Ma- Ma- Maggie, Maggie's way smarter than me. Right. <laughs> she should have had a podcast. So as she would move up through the ranks and her husband would continue, you know, doing his thing, they would purchase their uh, a family home um, in Richmond Jackson's Ward neighborhood, which was dubbed um, the hub of Richmond's African-American business and cultural life. So they called it the Harlem of the South. Oh, okay. I-, I thought they did call it the like the hub of richmond's yada 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 and i'm like that's a lot to put on a welcome sign like you can't print that on a t-shirt but harlem of the south that's marketable also i think i said richmond new york before it's richmond virginia oh okay that was my bad so yeah harlem of the south makes a little bit more sense take me home country road (laughs) i know it's not west virginia but i don't know a song about virginia i don't either other virginia's for lovers Na, 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 na. <laughs> so um, the independent order ended up not doing very great and um, they were going to go bankrupt. And during this time, they elected the, the person who was running the order um, just noped out of there. They were like, nope, I see where this is going. I'm done. basically." Oh. And the order would elect her to replace him as grand secretary. Um, a place that she would hold for many, many years until she died. So clearly, like, she was able to save the order, which is great. I love that. And I also hope if anyone was like, you're just a secretary. She was like, that's grand secretary to you, right? Bitch. Exactly. <laughs> um, and having spent so many years, like, holding various positions and being able to, like, talk to the youth and other people and um, stuff like that, she was able to bring a much wider diversity of perspectives than the old, per- like the guy that was running it before her. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this diverse experience, she would she would, d- would devote the rest of her life to building membership and resources, getting funding, expanding the activities, both on the business side, so the order could make more money, but also in the social side, and keeping basically the finances as efficient as humanly possible. That is so important because I feel like a lot of people have very good intentions when they create like an organization or a nonprofit or a volunteer group, but you can have a really good idea and you can have all the heart and passion behind it. But if you can't run the organization in a practical way, it's going to suffer and it's not going to be sustainable. So having, having the mission and the vision is just as important as knowing how to manage it and grow it and sustain it. So the fact that she was focused on both of those things and that she was kind of like a double threat in that. Oh, 100%. Fucking huge. 
So, and to be, to inherit something that's literally on the edge of bankruptcy is yes. like insane. I but do not envy her. Under her guidance, she was able to save the order of St. Luke and basically completely reverse the track it was headed down. Um, so she would inherit it under a horrible deficit. I couldn't find like how much, um, but over the 25 years of her leadership, she would collect nearly $3.5 million, claim 100,000 members in 24 states, and build up almost $100,000 in like reserve money. Holy shit. Yep. 25 years. Good God. Yeah. So like she was, she diversified and she brought people in and it obviously worked. Um, in August, on August 20th, 1901, she delivered what is a now famous speech, at least like for the independent orders side of things. Cause obviously like I've never heard it. There, um, there, there's, I have a dream. And then there's like notable yes. speeches in the stories we talk about. Right. Um, and unfortunately I couldn't find like the direct quote from the speech. Cause I'm like, God, it says it's a now famous speech. Like, why can't I just read the goddamn speech? I kind of hate that, that editorializing where it's like, okay, we, you can say that this is a big deal at the time, but don't tell me it was famous if you can't produce any quotes from it. Right. So I have like the, the summarized speech, which is still pretty cool basically the speech is her talking about to like the the council or the board of the organization and being like okay this is what i want to do with the order moving forward like i want to create all this stuff basically and she said i want to create a bank chartered and operated by our members i want to create a newspaper to herald like the good news and like talk about community events and stuff like that and i want a department store run by African-American employees geared toward African-American consumers with goods that they want and that are more affordable for them than at white retailers. I fucking love that. It's so so, those are her three main points. It's so Madam CJ Walker. It's so like many of the black women we've covered in the past are all about this. Like I'm going to use my platform to empower the community and, you know, help with job training and help us starting businesses and this and that. And even that is still um, not, not necessarily like in the black community, a thing, but like other organizations do that. So the, the boys and girls club in town, they had an ice cream shop for a while where kids from the club would work under the supervision of like adults. Right. Um, But But that was that experience. It gets in that experience because have you ever been like, a teenager trying to get a job with no experience. Like I know, I know a lot of people are just kind of hiring anyone right now, but having that experience and having that space to grow and learn where you're not worried about like some fucking jackass screaming at you because they're trying to make you work longer than you're legally allowed or that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And they got paid. Like they were, it was a job. Like this is, and these are jobs too. Exactly. And yeah, she would go on to talk about that. She viewed that through this consolidation of like community money and industry that the African-American community as a whole would be able to become economically independent, mobilize themselves and become self-sustaining, which is huge. Like for people that are trying to get back on their feet, particularly in the South. Is particularly in the wake of slavery. Exactly. Oh my God. It I I love that all this was going on. And it the the only thing that like gives me the sour taste in my mouth is knowing all the other stuff that was going on that was being empowered 
and, you know, furthered by the U.S. government to continue to disenfranchise black people. And like they're they're trying to fight this like huge tide and this huge opposition and yeah. like it th- this is so amazing. But then I just keep thinking of what else was going on and right. you know, kind of like how the rest of history started playing out. It's just yeah. very sad. Yeah, history was the worst. Well, and not to be not to be like defeatist because again, dwelling on the victimization of African Americans is also not helpful or healthy. Right. Um, but I think this is a really great example of, you know, that that tenacity, that sense of community and right. the the drive to not only survive, but thrive. Right. And the best thing about it is Maggie wasn't just like talking out of her ass. Within five years, all of these things would come to fruition. Uh, in 1902, the St. Luke Herald began. So kind of started with the newspaper. The bank would come next, and then the the St. Luke Emporium, which is that general store, would come next. So I kind of glanced over the bank, but I'm going to come back to it. Because in 1903, Maggie Walker did what most people believe to be unimaginable at that time. She opened a bank, hired African-American women in particular. Oh, damn right she did. And... To run it, and again, yeah, she's living in the segregated South. Um, so, like, this is probably highly frowned upon, but she she started the bank. It was called St. Luke Penny Savings Bank. Yeah. Um, and this made her the only African-American woman bank president in the nation, and I'm pretty sure she was the first, like, woman in general to open a bank. Um, but... She would advocate for the African-American women to work there and and girls. She would create jobs for them. And then she would use like the additional funding coming into the bank to create or to fund um, African-American educational institutes and participate in more prominent civil rights organizations. So, yeah, she was the first woman of any race to charter a bank in the United States. And this bank was when it opened and for a long time was a powerful representation of how the African-American community could come back and self, like, create this self-help within the segregated South. And, like, yes. if we stand together, look at what we can do. Yes. Also, you know how earlier I was like, oh, she's paying it forward? Now she's yep. literally she's paying literally. it forward. And, yeah, like I said, she worked to make sure that the bank not only attracted adults to, like, actually bank there but she also works toward um making it appeal to children by passing out um like flyers and stuff like that that encouraged them to like save their money and like be like hey oh you want all this stuff like this is how you do it and like kind of was like teaching the children like how to be responsible we kind of okay i i know banks do that but we still super need that yeah we, we need kids to like really think about you know, when, when they get pocket money or their allowance, like what they're spending it on yep. and like, well, Hey, if you really want this, you got to save up for, it, you got to yep. like plan it out. And you know, I, I take cue, I, I've taken cue shopping and th- you, you can see her like working it out. Yep. And it, it's, it's really interesting because if she has like three bucks, she's like, I just want to spend it on something. I, I just want to get something. 
nothing is three dollars you right, know you're like sorry um but if she has a little more money she's really thinking it out and really plotting and it's like really interesting and i love that because that's such an important skill for everyone to have it is but, but i also find it very interesting yeah but in for like her a as a way. child to like be working working through it yeah it's really cool and yeah like how rewarding it is to like see that too as an adult like mm-hmm. to be like all right this kid mostly understands it yeah um yeah and she would talk a lot about the bank and her hope for it she would say quote let us put our monies together let us use our monies let us put our money out at usury don't know what that is among ourselves and reap the benefits ourselves let us have a bank that will take the nickels and turn them into dollars I love that. Also, she's saying like, let let's use let's it in the use community. It, yeah, yeah u- usury. among our community. That's just a we- like that's a very old fashioned word. Can we bring back usury? Usury. Um, mm. And yes, like I said, she would encourage the young members to start bank accounts early. And a lot of it is she would encourage both the younger members and the adults to basically be like, hey, the more you invest, the more money you'll have, the quicker you can get away from working for white people. Yeah. She said it much more eloquently than me, but like, <laughs> that's kind of how it is. Is like, hey, because I mean, this is the segregated South. So like, there were a lot of African-Americans that were being taken advantage of. This, and is, this is post-Civil War. The South right. does not know what the fuck to do. They right. are genuinely surprised that enslaved they people left. They're genuinely surprised they lost, but they're also surprised that enslaved people left. Right. Because they were so indoctrinated into the lie that enslaved black people wanted to be enslaved and needed to be enslaved yeah yeah it was good for them yeah and so yeah like and so a lot of white employers did not pay them what they were worth did not still did not treat them well because the ones that did stay it was kind of like what are you gonna do well of course people have been not been denied like any kind of job training or education you know so yeah it was a lot of the like jobs the white people didn't want yeah, Share, um, sharecropping. Right, sharecropping, being the maids, being the butlers, being the cooks, partially because some of, like, the wealthy whites legitimately did not know how to do those things. Yeah, yeah, they they, um, they couldn't. But also, like, because some of them believed they were, like, above it, which is bullshit. You're but, never above making your own goddamn meal and doing your own fucking laundry. Right. So this... Penny Savers Bank, which I love that name, um, uh, basically is viewed as one of the reasons um, that that the um, Richmond, Virginia, African-American middle class survived so well and was so stable for so long because not only did it help them save money, open their own businesses and stuff like that, but it also got them money so that they could own their own homes within the city. And home ownership is one of the best ways to build generational wealth and therefore empower generation upon generation. Exactly. And this is why the BIPOC home ownership disparity in the United States is so important and why I will never stop bitching about right. it. And it's been important since. <laughs> yes, God. it has always been important. But like Minnesota, I th- in particular, I think is like the second worst state in the in the in the in the country. Right. Which I'm like that. We should all be really embarrassed by that. Yeah. 
So Maggie would spend a lot of time working at the bank and stuff like that. Life would move on as, as it would. Um, on, however, on June 20th in 1940, Russell, um, which I believe was their oldest son. Let me scroll back up. It was. Double check. Yep. Um, killed his father. <gasps> Just. Oh my he God. Mid twenties at the time. And he shot and killed his father who was coming home late one night who he thought, and he thought he was a burglar oh. that him and his father had both been like on the lookout for. Cause there had been one like in the area. And so they were like, I think that's what his dad was doing was like literally out looking. And so he oh came my home. God. The son didn't know it was him shot and killed his dad. Um, oh my God. That's so fucking awful. Yep. Russell was arrested and charged with murder and after five months of waiting was declared innocent because they were like, okay, no, this was like genuinely an accident. Like yeah. there was a burglar in the area. You're like you didn't know this was not malicious. Yeah. So yeah, it, it took five months, which actually like, if you think about today's legal system is not that long. No, that's super quick, but it was it's a long time innocence. to spend in jail. Yeah. But obviously like this left a really big hole in the family and it left Maggie with a lot a very large household because the house that they had bought that I previously mentioned that they bought was fairly large because yeah. they had three ki- four kids three kids you know like um and so like it was a big house and now yeah she's on her own managing I mean if the oldest son is 20 like mid-20s the youngest is probably still a teenager exactly so she had a lot of household to manage and but luckily like her work with the bank and everything like that like they they had the money so like like, yeah that was good it's not one of the situations where the husband dies and all of a sudden like like her when her dad died yeah they were in poverty so well and I I was gonna say you know Armistead senior or you know the the father was the one who was taking care of the whole family financially because she was not allowed to work right Oh, how, okay, like, obviously this is very sad, incredibly tragic, but how incredible is that, that through all of her work, she got herself to the position where, like, in the tragic event of her husband's death, she was not destitute. Her family was not in trouble. Like, how... Again, can you imagine putting your whole financial future on the shoulders of a single person? person? Maybe two if you had an older male child. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, if he didn't just get married and then go support his family. Exactly. Um, so luckily, yeah. Like, and how cool, like for her, I'm sure like when the dust settles to like, look back and be like, you know what? I, I accomplished something that my mom couldn't because she wasn't like really allowed. So like how neat about that. So once things kind of settled down, she, I mean, she continued working for the order of St. Luke's. She like held that leadership position, but she also was branching out and started holding leadership positions in other civic organizations, including the national association of colored women. So the NACW, she would also serve as the vice president of the Richmond chapter of the NAACP. Holy shit. So like, she's like, okay, I've kind of like set Richmond up. You know, like, I've got us a bank, I've got us a general store, I've got us a newspaper. Like, I'm going to start bringing this message to the wider African-American community. Girl! So I think that's great. Oh, my God. So, like I said, Russell was proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would unfortunately never really recover from the incident. He would fall into a really deep depression and turn to alcoholism and would die... Um, less like nine years later because he just 
he could never forgive himself. Yeah, that that, and so that's that's. I wasn't going to include it, but I'm like, it's not part of her story, but it kind of is. Like, it she is. lost her husband, and then her kid just never recovered from it. Well, th- think about all the the trauma that this woman has gone through from a young age. Right. Her her father figure is murdered, and nothing ever, nothing's right. ever done. There is no justice. Um, her husband is killed is murdered by, by her son, her son on accident. in a tragic accident and then her son who cannot handle the guilt and trauma that he's been through and you know there were no resources for him to like right. work yeah, through that it, and the articles all just he, said died, he drinks himself to like, death mm, yeah at, at the very at at he drank yeah. himself to and death at the, at the like, very least he was like our age he was he would have been mid-30s <sighs> that is so like, sad it, breaks my heart and of course like yeah she very much rallied her family again and was there to support her other kids and like basically just kept doing what she like did in the wake of I what just, it is I think it's so incredible everything that she's building in the wake right. of enormous loss happening throughout her life yep. and these are just the incidents we know about and uh we're coming Coming into the mid-1920s, which means the Great Depression is upon us. No. Um, so by 1924, which is just prior to the Great Depression. Yeah, because the Black Friday was on, it was like October of 1929. Okay. So yeah. like Because the 30s so, was like the Great Depression. Yep. So just prior to the Great Depression, um, Penny Savings Bank would spread to other parts of Virginia and would be growing to around 50,000 members. And while other banks would collapse during um, the Great Depression, St. Luke's Penny Savings survived and actually ended up um, consolidating with two other large banks and moved to downtown Richmond. And it is still in operation today. Shut up. Yeah. Can I open an account? I don't know, but that'd be so... <laughs> like, I know I don't live here, but please. Like, can, can, can I just collect some interest on my account? Right. I'll just, like, keep $20 in there. I just I just want to be a part of this. Right. That is incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, if we quickly touch base on uh, her story happening, I did a long time ago on sororities. Um, the Zeta Phi Beta sorority, which was, like... I think the oldest African-American um, sorority mm-hmm. around. It was the one that was started by five women at Harvard, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, when um, they, um, when they opened a new chapter of, of the, that they inducted her as an honorary member at their very first meeting, which I was like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, in 1928, uh, Maggie would be forced to use a wheelchair after mm-hmm. suffering some illness. They weren't really sure what it was. I mean, she's also just older. I, um, yeah, I mean, it could have been a, a, a million different things. Exactly. And although limited in her movement, Maggie would remain a leader in the Richmond African-American community. She was still like the grand secretary for the Order of St. Luke. She would be fighting arduously for women's rights because it's all during that. Like, she was definitely a suffragist. Um, and she would work on the board of the Virginia Industrial School for Girls, like, making sure women are getting educated and stuff like that. Like, so even though she's wheelchair-bound, she's still, like, fucking killing it. Well, and I think, like, like you know, becoming a wheelchair user, I'm sure, was a challenge because that, kind of, that kind of adjustment is a lot. But... 
I think it's more incredible that like she she's getting so up there because remember she was born like the 1860s and we're in the 1920s now. Oh yeah, and she's like, yeah, no, she's just she's still killing it. She's still super involved. Yep that that's amazing. Yep. Um, she would pass away in December of 1934 at 70 from complications due to diabetes because there really oh, wasn't great healthcare yeah. for that back then. Um, we, we talk about, we talk about, uh, diabetes and insulin when mm-hmm. I covered Alice McGaw yeah. and like how it wasn't, insulin wasn't even like created until the 1920s or and it wasn't popular right. use until much later. Yeah. So yeah, that's Maggie, but I do have a legacy cause a bunch of stuff happened. <laughs> Okay. Basically. Yay. All right. Some of this did happen why she was alive, but I didn't find like, it was listed in the legacy part of like Wikipedia and other places. And I just couldn't find like among the bank story, like ways to just like set it in other than just being like, and this one little thing happened. Okay. Back to the bank. But, um, so there was in 1905, there was a poster titled 101 prominent colored people. And she was on it. That's kind of neat. I love that. Um, And then she received an honorary degree from a university and was inducted into the Junior Achievement Business Hall of Fame, which that was in 2001. So she was. Oh, that that was postmortem. Yeah. Posthumous. Yeah. At this point, we're posthumous. (laughs) Basically, it was she received the honorary master's and was on the the 101 prominent colored people poster um, pre prehumously posthumous. Yeah. Before she died. No, yeah, before. During her life. Yep. So Richmond Public Schools also built a large bricks uh, high school adjacent to the Virginia Union University, which was titled Maggie L. Walker High School. And it was one of two schools in the area for um, African-American students during Jim Crow. Oh, my God. Um, I hope I hope they were the fighting penny savers and they like shucked pennies. At the opposing team. <laughs> My favorite part, though, is it was around for generations. And actually, in 2001, it was completely refurbished and reopened as the regional Maggie Walker Governor's School for Government and International Studies. Oh, my God. So, like, I they're still it. using it. They're not using it as a high school anymore, but, like, they're still actively using it, and it's still named after her. And they're still the fighting penny savers. Yes, 100%. Um, the St. The St. Luke building offices where she worked and particularly her office were preserved um, and is, it is listed on a National Historic Place uh, at Historic Places. Um, they also have the Maggie L. Walker National Historic Site, which is her home, the home she lived in with her husband. Oh, my God. It's still there. Yep. So it's a historic site and a museum and it. Quote, commemorates the life of a progressive and talented African-American woman. She achieved success in the world of business and finance as the first woman in the United States to charter and serve as president of a bank, despite the many adversities facing her. This site includes a visitor center detailing her life, the Jackson Ward community in which she lived and worked, and her residence of 30 years. The house is restored to its 1930s appearance with original Walker family pieces. Oh my God, I so want yeah, to go there. We're going to go to Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, um, she was honored as one of, or she was wa- honored as one as the first group of Virginia women, Virginia women in history in 2000. So like that, she was in that first like inaugural, the inaugural class group, which is great. Um, in on July 15th, 2017, a statue of Maggie was um 
was designed by Antonio Tobias Mendez and was unveiled um, at a location known as the Maggie L. Walker Memorial Plaza on Broad Street in Richmond. It's a very beautiful statue. Um, Basically, it's a 10-foot statue, um, and it shows a depiction of her with her glasses pinned to her lapel and her checkbook in hand. Like, it's actually, like, a legitimately, like, really good statue. Oh, my God, I love that. And then in 2020, so, like, very recently, Walker was one of eight women featured in the Smithsonian National Museum's The the Only One in the Room display. Oh, cool. So I put a little blurb in there about it because a lot of people don't know what that is. So, um, the, the only one in the room display is a lot about, it's about women in business and particularly like the top of business for, because getting to the top of business, this is literally from the Smithsonian's website. So quote, getting to the top of business is always tough and for women tougher yet. While women are inventive, driven, and great managers, they often face discrimination and cultural boulders blocking their path. For the few women that do get to the highest levels on arrival, they often find themselves alone the only one in the room. Here are the stories of eight strong women who made it to the top. I love that. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the, um, the, the, the table. Yeah. The, the, the I mean, that was a lot bigger, but yeah, like, I, I know, but just that, that celebrated whole idea. a lot of women. Yeah. Like, Oh the, my God. What was dinner that called? table or something? We talked about that a, a lot. lot early on and we covered several of the women who are included in that, that art installation. But it's yeah, called it's the like dinner party. The dinner party. That's it. I keep wanting to say dinner table. Yep. And it's, yeah, a massive triangular table that has 39 women as place settings and then like all the tiles underneath and like in the room where it is, is all um, like names of women as well. I love that. I think that's that you can go s- still see. I don't know about the the only one in the room, but I'm pretty sure the dinner party is still available to go see at the, I think it's in Brooklyn. Very cool. Yeah. So that was Maggie. I um, can't believe I haven't heard of her because she's definitely getting a lot more recognition. I, I will say sometimes we, we cover these women and it, it's a name that my brain is just not trained to register. And then I start seeing a bunch of stuff about right. them because I, I recognize the name. I don't just right, like gloss yeah. over it when I'm like scrolling through my social feed or something. Yeah. But yeah, like it was someone I had obviously hadn't heard of either. So that's incredible. Yeah. So that is Maggie Walker. You're welcome. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. 
If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash herstory. Hi, I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And we're the hosts of Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. And if you're like most people, you may have just discovered the amazing world of Regency Romance through the smash hit Bridgerton on Netflix. And whether you're a new fan just diving into the Regency genre, or if you've loved Regency for a long time, we've got a huge catalog of episodes exploring the best of what Regency has to offer. So join us each week as we take a trip across the pond and into the past in search of swoon-worthy happily ever afters. We talk about all the Regency favorites like Julia Quinn's Bridgertons or Lisa Kleypas's Ravenels. Plus, we dive deep into exciting new releases from rising stars you're going to love. Plus, we have fabulous interviews with best-selling authors in the genre like Kerrigan Byrne, Maya Rodale, and Kat Sebastian. And of course, we are covering the Bridgerton Netflix show. We're speaking to bloggers, costumers, and authors to really talk about seeing this best-selling series brought to life. And if the show has given you a hankering for more Julia Quinn, we have a full episode recapping and discussing each book of the series. So check us out on your podcatcher of choice or learn more about us at romancepod.com. See you on Thursdays and may all your ever afters end happily. Well, Kelly, thank you for that amazing story. Um, so Maggie's Maggie's main name was Mitchell. Yeah. I am also covering an M. Mitchell. Ooh. Today I am whining about Matilda Mitchell. Ooh, I like Matilda too. Sh- I name. love, oh my God, can we please bring that name back? Yes. I love the name Matilda. Um, but yeah, Matilda Mitchell, shop sleuth. Oh, what? <laughs> so full disclosure, there was not a ton of information on this person. So I filled it out with a lot of background, but... This woman just sounded like such a cool fucking little badass, and I was looking for a shorter story, so let's just do this. Selfridge's department store founded by American businessman Harry Selfridge brought the luxurious American department store experience to London. Mm. Many of the department store hallmarks that we know and tolerate today began at Selfridge's, including placing perfume close to the entrances, elaborate window displays, and exhibits to draw in shoppers. And the slogan that plagues everyone who has ever worked in retail, the customer is always right. And actually, like, uh, people also credit this to um, Marshall Fields. Mm Mm-hmm. Of the of the of the department store by the same name, uh, but Hel- Harry Selfridge worked for Her- worked for Marshall Fields, ah. and that's where he like learned a lot of this stuff and built on it. So, anyway, but the luxurious department store experience also brought luxurious department store problems, in particular mm. theft. Dun, oh. dun, dun. Retail theft takes a variety of forms, from petty shoplifting to full-blown retail crime rings. According to an article by Zach Stambor of the Insider Intelligence, uh, retail theft in 2021 cost retailers $95 billion, which was a 4% rise from the previous year, which doesn't surprise me because this is like post-pandemic and everyone's just like, first of all, people are going back to stores, but second of all, like, there there, there are a lot of emotions going on and people like super don't fucking give a shit about anything anymore. Also, I don't want to totally leave the need unacknowledged because a lot of people struggled, you know, 
in the pandemic, post-pandemic, especially when those uh, programs dried up. Right. But yeah, the potential losses have motivated retailers to employ a variety of loss prevention tactics. In 1909, Selfridges unleashed their latest weapon against retail theft. Matilda Mitchell. Matilda, former pantomime actor, was working as a private detective in London. Her womanliness offered many advantages in her line of work. Men were unlikely to look directly at women out of politeness, allowing them to move through the world without detection. Also, thanks to sexism, no one expected much from women, let alone for them to be up to shenanigans. Shenanigans. Shenanigans of the shoplifting variety. shenanigans. Unfortunately, we don't know much about Matilda, but we can assume that she was a successful private detective to have attracted the attention of Selfridge's, uh, who hired her as the superintendent of the store's secret service. According to historian and author of Sister Sleuth's Female Detectives in Britain, Nell Darby, quote, initially the big luxury stores would get countersaffed to look out for anyone thieving. Then they gradually started employing standalone detectives to identify shoplifters. This is what Matilda did. So... First of all, it's hard to provide like a really good guest experience when you're looking at every person who comes up to your counter like, are you thieving from me? Right. And like, that's still a big thing. So when my mom retired, she worked in retail for a for a brief stint and she would tell me all the like weird theft scams that she would see and like got used to seeing. But she wasn't allowed to confront anyone about it because that ruins the shopping experience. And the last thing they want is for you to accuse someone and have them get all upset and either lash out at you or you're wrong. So Matilda had her work cut out for her. The original Selfridges location at 400 Oxford street is the second largest retail store in the UK, right behind Harrods. Probably the like Selfridges is probably the next best well-known behind Harrods. Yeah. Uh, at 540,000 square feet of retail Jesus. space. One of the things that made Selfridges so popular was the immersive shopping experience it offered. Shoppers were called guests and were mm. treated like royalty by employees as they moved through the sensual marvel. I, okay, so also my mom, there's a, there's a uh, PBS drama series called Selfridges. Yeah. That's like based on yep. hair you know, and all that. My mom used to watch it with her cat Daniel. And so like so much of this, I'm just seeing the show. That's super and it, it was really interesting because like I wasn't super into the personal drama, yeah. but like the history and like, oh my God, this is how this started. This is why we have perfume at the beginning because you go in and immediately you're immersed like um sensually through the nose. What sensory no but what is the olfactory Olfactory, your olfactory senses are totally over overridden and you're like oh my god yes i'm here and it gets you in the mood it gets you frisky or or you choke and want to leave or yeah you die in which case they don't want you anyway Um, So from the luxurious surroundings and products to the perfume scents that enveloped them as they entered the store, guests were transported to an idealized lifestyle that they could actually take home with them. 
To maintain the sense of comfort for guests, the store couldn't have uniformed security guards stalking around, making shoppers feel like they were under suspicion. Ask any person of color who's been into a resale store and followed. It's not fun. When we think of shoplifting, our minds probably go to like kids and teens who are pocketing small items like candy, trinkets, or gift cards with no money on them because you want to have credit cards like a grown-up. Definitely not a personal story of mine. I know. I'm like, that That seems like we had a very <laughs> intense specific. eye contact moment because, yeah, it was oddly specific. Yeah, definitely didn't steal empty gift cards from Target because you. I wanted to put credit cards in my wallet like my mom had. I anyway, love you. we're fine. I grew up and I'm fine. But there were and still are very sophisticated gangs that Matilda and her staff had to contend with. So this isn't just like, oh, a bunch of rowdy like teens come in the store and you're like, mm, keep an eye on them because like they've shoplifted here before. This is some sophisticated crime ring shit. Speaking of sophisticated crime ring shit, way back in episode 29, I covered one of these gangs called the 40 Elephants, who were led by Alice Diamond. The 40 Elephants were an all-women London crime syndicate that specialized in shoplifting. The 40 Elephants would enter a large store and cause a ruckus, distracting sales staff and potential security, while other members would take the opportunity to stuff, excuse me, wine burp, they would stuff expensive wine burps. No, expensive. Down their bras. Yep. They would just start chugging wine. I respect the hell out of them. Right? No, they would uh, stuff expensive merchandise like furs and jewelry into secret pockets sewn in their large dresses. Again, this is why the patriarchy doesn't want us to have pockets because we are entirely too powerful. Like Matilda, they would use sexism of the time to their advantage. You know, because like men aren't going to look at them. Men aren't, you know, going to touch them in a public setting. So gang members were able to hide merchandise in their secret pockets. And even if a man did suspect theft, they were very unlikely to confront the woman. Right. And they certainly were going to grab her and like shake her, you like flip her upside down and like shake the stuff out of her pockets. People somehow let elephants into a restaurant. They would just stop everyone for a little bit. God damn you, Kelly. God damn you. I love you so much. <laughs> that was something I would say. Like, you know. Their gang like... was the 40 elephants. There were no actual elephants oh, involved. Oh, okay. Oh my God, are you serious? Wait, were you being serious? Yeah, I was dead serious. I thought you were, like, making a bad because joke like was, I would. That was a joke in when I went to England about Harrods that they were like, they can get you anything you want, even elephants. And it's actually true. They legitimately can get you elephants. I, I believe that. I 100% believe that. So, yeah, no. I thought, like, so you just meant, like, people. Their gang would is go, called would go the 40 Elephants. And cause a distraction. Yes. Okay. Yes. They wouldn't I'm actually ride dumb. 40 elephants Dude, into the store to start a ruckus. It's like Hannibal riding yeah. elephants into battle. Can I get a drawing of that? Just like a bunch of Victorian women riding elephants. Just like one. Like they just bring in one. Store. They're called 40, but they just bring yeah. in one. <laughs> oh my fucking okay, God. I feel like an idiot. No, Thanks. I am so in love with you right now. That is the best thing I have heard all day. <laughs> You're welcome. You're you're like, of course, bringing elephants into a store would be disruptive and distracting. Jesus Christ. I know. I was very confused. You think the elephant would be a giveaway that something was going on. Right. No, the circus is just in town. This is what they mean when they talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. So, so the 40 elephant gang is, you. you know, using all of the same tactics that Matilda is using to be 
a good like secret service chopper person. But as a fellow woman, these tactics didn't work on Matilda. Oh. She's like, I will fuck you up. I She's will like, fuck, fuck out you of my up. Store. I will grab you by your ankles. I will shake you until all the jewelry falls out of your secret pockets. So stopping thieves wasn't as simple as saying, gotcha. Often thieves were physically imposing and not opposed to fighting back. Mm. Unfortunately for them, Matilda also wasn't afraid oh. to throw the fuck down. I mean, I, f- I feel like if you're, that's your position, you kind of have to be. 100%. And I mean, this is this is also like the early 1900s security staff today. Like you, you're very limited in what you're allowed to do. Like you can't touch a customer. You can't, you know, all these other things. And I like that. I, I'm okay with that personally. Like I'd rather have this massive, you know, multi-billion dollar franchise lose some money than like have a security guard assault a customer yeah same for no reason or like i that's gonna get real messy real fast um but this is the 1900s and pretty much fucking anything goes including riding elephants into stores according to nell darby quote i like that name too yeah he he was the author of that book yeah it's it's on amazon i couldn't find it on audible though so i haven't had a chance to like get a hold of it in time for this you said it the first time and i was like oh that's a nice name but i didn't say anything out loud but then you're repeating it and i'm like god that's a nice yeah no nell darby i i love that so uh they go on to say quote she was particularly proud of one incident where a frenchman stole a bronze ornament and he'd hidden it under his waistcoat Matilda managed to catch hold of him despite his large size. There were no other staff members to help her, yet she was able to retain him until assistance eventually came. I like to imagine she's got him in a headlock. Oh, 100%. I really hope so. Like, she's like... Mercury headcanon. She she has one woman under each arm, like... (laughs) No, this was was a man. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was a man. This was a Frenchman. I don't know why he had to be French. I don't know why that was so distinctive. The English and the French do not have a very copacetic history. Other, anyway. She has him under his arm and just other people are walking by. She's like, no, no, I got it. I got She's it. Like, no, we're good. We're good. My, my, my people are on their way. Right. Just Super pulls a Captain chill, America. Yeah. I can do this all day. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, it, it wasn't just, you know, taking on these, like, female crime syndicate. She's also, like, confronting men who... Or who are like physically imposing and pose, a, pose, pose more of a physical threat. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of information on Matilda, no birth date, death date, or family history. There may be more in Nell Darby's book, Sister Sluice, but I didn't have time to buy it and yeah. wait for it to arrive in the mail and read it. And, right. But I, it, it's on my wish list. Um, so I will end this with the only quote from Matilda that I could find that only leaves us with more questions than answers, which I feel like is Matilda's style. Yeah. Just from what we know about her. How did I become a lady detective? That is a question which I have often been asked. And that's fucking it. I love, I was like, <laughs> please tell me that's it. Like that. She's just that's like, that's it. a question I've been asked anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's kind of like, well, that's a story for next time. But yeah, that is the story of Matilda Mitchell, Shop Sleuth. I love that. Yeah. I, Short and sweet I because there's no information. Yeah. I just, I want something fun. I, I'm like, there's, I want to cover this woman and there's, like, there are other more notable uh, women detectives in England and London around the same time. 
but she just seemed like this scrappy little gal. And the fact that she worked at Selfridges, which like holds a special place in my heart because my mom would watch it with her rescue cat and like she loves it and he loved it. And it just made me happy. I love it. I love it. Hey, Emily. I love it. What are you thankful for? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Why are we doing this right now? Why are we doing this? Um, I ran my first 5K. Oh, yeah. And and this isn't the first 5K I have participated in because Kelly and I did the, like, Night Nation run. Yeah, that was fun. But it was more of a Night Nation walk and... Yeah, because um, I can't run. Work. It, was, it was walk broken, broken up by intermittent twerking because there were, like, DJ booths yeah, all that, along that the route. Yeah, that was kind of fun. So we were like... That's the sound of my joints trying to twerk. Um, but th- this was... this. This was a, a local winery for daughters who we've had their, their wine on the podcast before, but they have a wine run. It's a 5k through the vineyard and then you get wine at the end. And so mm. my, my friend, uh, Katie and I, Katie's also a friend of the podcast. Yeah. What's up girl? I fucking love you. We did it. And it was, a, it was fucking challenging. Um, but I was actually able to run the majority of the time. I took a few walking breaks but I got it done in 40 minutes. <laughs> it's not bad. Which is a personal best considering I've never fully run a 5K before. I think that's great. And then it was a ton of fun because um, our our other friend Tierney came and like cheered us on. And then uh, Katie's parents were there and they are just like, so, they are so lovely and they are so sweet. And actually a bunch of volunteers didn't show up. So Tierney and Katie's parents then got like, rassled into handing out the medals at the end that's super funny and it, it's, it's so funny because like katie's mom is super like where do you need me i've got this and then tierney's like a former toddler teacher and she still works with kids she's like no i got this let's get organized like i'm not waiting around i'm taking control and so we get to the end and they're just handing out the medals and the medals were super cool. And then afterwards we went into the winery and like we each got wine flights and some food and just like you know Totally, totally um, made up for all the exercise we had gotten, and it was 100% worth it, and it was a lot of fun. And I de- I definitely want to do it again. I think that's amazing. We got super lucky with the weather, though. It was overcast and actually kind of chilly the whole time, and the sun didn't come out until we were done. So then we got to sit outside the winery, enjoying our wine in the beautiful sun, yeah. looking over the vineyard, and it was incredible. That sounds really nice. It was. It was cool. And I'm just proud of myself for like actually completing it because I I was very stressed out. The idea of one, not running on a treadmill because that's what I'm used to, but also running with a bunch of other people around and like that, like, first of all, no one cares about you. Right. Everyone's focused on their own. Exactly. Whatever. But there's still this sense of like almost performance anxiety or like feeling like you're being watched when you're doing something that you're not comfortable with people watching you do. But it was awesome. I love you. I love and you. And I'm proud of you too. And the medal had a wine stopper and a wine corkscrew on it. Really? Yes. That's adorable. It's incredible. I'll have to post a picture. I love that. I love that for you. Thank you. Kelly, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my tiny pug. She's so fucking cute. Yeah, like she's just a really good distraction too and... Um, she did really well when we went camping and she came to my work one day and met everyone. She did really well there. She's just a really good dog. And I really, I'm 
I mean, she pees in the house all the time. But besides that, she's a really good dog. No, well, she's a puppy. That's yeah. just that's just puppy shit. Yeah, exactly. Or so. excuse me, puppy piss. Yeah. So dun, she's dun, 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 she's dun. learning, and you know, it's it's good. I'm just really thankful for her. She's been a real blessing. It's super funny because Navi. She, she's a runty pug. Like, she's a very yeah, little she, pug. But she's looking like a normal-sized yeah, pug compared to Zana now. Zana's tiny. Which is really interesting to see. And then she makes Dory look even more intimidating as a pug. Yeah. <laughs> Dory's a big girl. Dory, it, it's so funny because Dory is the most chill of all three. Yeah, she is. The she former crack pug. Doesn't give a shit. Is like, so fucking mellow. She just kind of like Like when Emily got around. here, like... Navi's freaking out because that's what Navi does. She, 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 so she's barking. She's freaking out. Zana's like not barking, but she's like jumping up trying to get to Emily. And Emily comes downstairs and says hi to them. And Dory just comes to the top of the stairs and just stares at Emily and wags her tail. Well, she kind of like wags her whole body because yeah. she loves Emily. She, no, it, it's so funny because she she kind of looks like um, she looks like a coffee cup, you know, just yeah. like a cylinder. Yep. And like her whole body her whole moving. It's so cute it's, though. I love her so much. She loves you so much. She does. That's why she used to poop in front of my door yeah. and outside my window. Yeah. She's like, hi, I love you. Poops of love. Defecation affection. Well, thank you. On that note. On that On that note. horribly disgusting note. I loved it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHPAD. We don't use Twitter anymore. So I'm Which is now called X. I, I'm like seeing the logo on like sports things. It. And it I'm just like, what? showed up on my phone one day. Yeah. And they I was like, changed the, the fuck app. is this giant X? You know what it did? It reminded me to fucking delete the app. Yeah, We're too. not on Twitter anymore. I, it, here, And here's the thing. This isn't even like a moral stance. Like I already wasn't really using it. I already wasn't super engaged with it. And this is just kind of my final like, right. I feel it's like it's okay bullshit. to let go. <laughs> yeah. But... But we do have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com, where you can find links to all of our social meds, as well as our Buy Me a Coffee and a link to our Patreon, whether you want to donate for as little as $1 a month every month or, you know, a one-time $5 donation and we'll find you a bottle of wine. We will. And we will ask really awkward questions at the liquor store. Like, do you have pig wine? Or do you have any wine from Canada? And then they're like, he looked so sad. He's like, I know every wine in this store and I don't think we do. And then I did some Googling and it like, yeah, that's not a them problem. That's an America problem. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Like looking for like random wines. Cause then, yeah. Cause then, yeah. Like I was like, oh, like I asked them. Well, it, we're, we're, I asked them about like other like Canada related things and they were like, no. Like, well, it's funny thanks. because we're not going in there looking for a specific bottle, but we're looking for something that follows some kind of theme, right. which is also oddly specific yep. and somehow also incredibly unavailable. Yeah. So you can also, when, when you buy us a bottle of wine, if there's like a wine you particularly like, you can also suggest that to us. Otherwise you, yeah. we'll try to match your name or something like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.